0: Conversations, whether they're asynchronous like a phone call or synchronous like email, are the space where business transactions happen. In this episode, you're gonna learn techniques to nail these conversations. Welcome to Business Got Personal. This podcast is brought to you by Video Ask, Type Inflator's Tool. And hi, I'm Alex Antolino, Creative Director at Video Ask, and your host for today. I bring you a very special guest today someone who spent a lot of time thinking about conversations. She's Professor Elizabeth Stocko from Loughborough University and deployed. And she's gonna teach us some useful techniques on how to own our business conversations and be more persuasive, but the good persuasive, not the dark, uh, scummy persuasive. Hey, Liz, how are you doing? I'm good, thanks, Alex. How are you? I'm great. I'm so excited. Thanks for being on the show. I'm so happy to jump on a call with you and start talking about conversation again. I remember like our conversations when you were at Typeform, I actually learned a lot and I actually use some of the things that we're going to talk about today in my day to day conversations on negotiations or like my relationship with some clients. So I'm actually really, really grateful that you you're here with us today.
1: It's nice to be back.
0: All right. I'm going to ask you about one of the most, you know, mind-blowing things that I've learned from you, and this has to do with like one magic word, but we'll get into that later. You talk about this a lot, and we'll get about like uh, in the second part of the episode. But before we get into that, we're going to talk about persuasion techniques, right? Um. So could you tell us, just to kick this off, one good persuasion technique that we can use when we're on a conversation to warm up the feelings of the other person and maybe warm up a cult lead and make it more close to like maybe a conversion or some engagement?
1: Yeah. So I think this is a really great question. And partly it will allow me to say a little bit about um, communication myth busting and what it is that I actually do as a as a conversation analyst, which is to do something a bit different to much of what we read in communication skills domains, which is kind of post-talk, this is what I remember is a really good technique or it's all kind of done in theory. What I do is study actual talk in the wild. I transcribe it and scrutinize it. And from that basis of what people actually do, their, their sort of tacit skills and expertise, I can figure out what works. So persuasion is one of those topics where, in fact, what you probably need to think about is, a lot of people don't really want to be persuaded of something they want to change their minds independently. They want to make their own decisions. So one of the things that I found across research for a number of years now is that when people go all in to persuade another person, and whether that is a salesperson or a crisis negotiator or a mediator, what actually gets the outcome is creating the foundations for somebody to change their own mind sort of independently of the person that's trying to persuade them. So I think that's really mm. important to keep in mind that, that the outcome where somebody shifts position from one thing to another might be the same, but how you get there is important. So rather than trying to persuade somebody in a really, and it's hard to do it without being obvious, what you need <laughs> to do is try to get them to try to lay the foundations for people to change their own mind.
0: I want to talk a little bit about small talk. Because I was watching one of your um, one of your talks, and you were talking about small talk and how this can be beneficial or detrimental in different cases. And so, when it comes to video marketing. We always have, and I'm thinking about stories, like you might be using Video Oscar or not, but we all have done like some Instagram stories at some point. And there's always these like, at least personally, I have this thing internally that I'm like, oh, should I say hi? Uh, Should I just jump to the question? So what do you think about like when you're doing video marketing and maybe you're sending a video to a prospect to start turning that lead into a conversion? Or maybe on your homepage, you're putting a video ask. What happens with small talk how should we manage small talk on asynchronous conversations with video
1: we often talk about small talk in quite a blunt way i think so again my, my first starting point in answering this question is to unpack it a little bit and be a bit more precise about what we mean by small talk so when when if you google it you probably find it connected with things like building rapport and and the notion that you should have small talk with people that you want to sort of let's put it bluntly do business with later and people tend to do the small talk and then try to do business. Um, So we tend to associate it with people we don't really know. Um, but, of course, we do lots of what we might call small talk with people that we do know. So the, as when we started our call, Alex, earlier, and this won't be in the recording, but we we, we, t- we did a bit of small talk, a bit of catching up. But, of course, it was very, very finely tuned to what we already know about each other. Um, and one of the problems with do small talk with people that you don't know is that you can't tune it to that person because you actually don't know whether you can really talk about the word ballet. And I was loving hearing ballet again uh, because Alex said it and then you were asking me about, about stuff that you know you you know is the right small talk for me and so i think small talk can end up very generic and then it's really obvious that it's very generic because you actually don't know the person well enough to 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 what conversation analysts would call recipient design your small talk so i suppose what what we, we made a little animation um when i was at typeform called stop building rapport and the point of this was to show that um Rapport is an outcome, it's like a, it's the outcome of a really effective interaction. So my research basically shows that that the most effective cold call salespeople, they're listening really carefully to whether or not the person they're talking to wants to start talking about the weather with them or holidays or, or anything at all. And and as soon as they sense that it's not being reciprocated, they they back away from it and move to business whereas some salespeople really persist in keeping on talking about uncomfortable you know what becomes more and more so annoying yeah and you're just like like, yeah exactly and and and, and so what they're not really doing is listening so it's kind of the opposite of of you know with small talk should come listening and so Mm. I've got a lovely case where um somebody phones up a vet and they say I'd like to know how much it costs to get Vaccinations for my puppy, and the person on the other end of the phone, who's dying to build rapport, says, um "Oh, what's your puppy called?" And then there's this delay, and they say, "Victor," and they say, "Oh, and, and is it your first puppy?" Yes. Now at this point, you should be hearing this person doesn't want to hear about and talk about their new puppy, but, <sighs> Sorry, but actually, I'm laughing
0: because yeah. I, I remember this recording yeah. right now, yeah. and you're yeah. watching. You're gonna see what she's gonna say. What this is gonna yeah. say now, but.
1: But it's funny because you know in that situation the the most important thing you can do is listen and think right, does this person because a lot of people phoning the vet might really be dying to talk about their new animal with anyone who'll listen so if the, if you've got that person then then do it if you haven't got that person, then stop doing it um, so yeah so so the best thing to do is really actually think about what the purpose of the interaction is. Avoid the small talk unless it's very quickly being reciprocated and then move to business, because what you actually want is at the end of the encounter that the person felt like it was an effective, efficient conversation. And now they might want to have another one with you. And then the next time you talk to them, you can do some small talk because now you know them. So we need to sort of think, you know, no small talk do have a really effective like focused conversation um, with no padding and stuff. And at the end of that, if you get there really effectively, then the next time you meet them, that's the time to, you know, maybe start to do a little bit more, you, you know, of, of, of what we might call small talk. So what I take from this is like, don't risk it because the imp- the impact of
0: packing it up in a way is worse than actually not doing small talk and going straight to the point, Right. And you can always yeah. on the next, on the next, touch point or whatever on that relationship you can start once you know that person a little bit more uh you can start building that you know that rapport
1: yeah and actually the mistake that, that sometimes i've seen sales folks make is that they are now talking to an existing client and you can see from the opening of the conversation that the existing client expects to have a bit of catch up small talk and the business person or the salesperson they're not doing it because that you know maybe they they're very instrumental and think well you're already a client i don't need to put the effort in anymore (laughs) and 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 we're not talking about huge effort here we're talking about actually exchanging the how are you fine how are you fine and and that's all it can take sometimes to just smooth from the greetings and the answering of the the call into the reason for the call which is you know going to be something else right um now,
0: that this is, by the way, it's a little bit meta, right? Because we're talking about conversation, we're having the conversation, and you were just mentioning the way we started this conversation even before we started recording the episode. Yeah. And I guess, like, I need to ask you, otherwise I will die with this question. Like, as a, someone who spends their uh, their time, like, analyzing conversations, listening to recording, making that funny transcriptions, and, like, thinking <laughs> about this all the time, and you have these conversations about building reports. When... For example, when we started the call, and I was like, "How are you?" and uh, like da 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 da, da, da. are you thinking, "Oh, he's building rapport now"? Da da. da. <laughs> you <kind> of like...
1: <laughs> Well, the thing the thing is, if I didn't know you and we'd never met before, and depending on how you how much you extended that into other things, then I might think that. But no, I didn't think that because we already know okay. each other. So I would actually have found it weird if you didn't say anything at the start. Right. You know, <laughs> we, we need you need a bit of backwards and forwards, and mm. and that's why. How are you fine? How are you fine? It, it, it's pe- people sometimes make the mistake of of calling it filler talk and it's not genuine. But actually, those how are you's, you know, what, what we see in, in sales talk sometimes is that the salesperson will say, how are you and the client or the prospective client will say fine. But they don't reciprocate. They don't say, "And how are you back?" They 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 don't reciprocate it, and that's the point to again be really listening and thinking. Well, I've tried my "How are you?" But they just want to know why to I'm calling the them. Yeah, and I've actually got a, a really amazing example of how um, just saying "How are you?" and uh, "You're all right" can can to understand that because it belongs at the start of the conversation you know, how do we know that we can convey to somebody, I'm in a rush and something is urgent? Well, the way to do that is to, when you answer the phone, say, hi, oh, did, did you leave the oven on? And because you actually don't want the person to start doing, hi, how are you? Fine, because this is an emergency. And so we have, we, we, we calibrate from the very first mm-hmm. part of the conversation, what kind of thing this is going to be. And so I've got an example of somebody um, phoning the police, actually, and it's a domestic violence case um, collected with a colleague Emma Richardson. And what we see is that because probably the perpetrator is is in the house the person who is calling the police needs to sound like they're having a conversation with a friend so how do you do that and actually what the caller says is hi you're right and hopes that the police officer will pick up I need you to hear that I'm having a conversation pretending you are somebody that you're not and somehow Mm. they pick it up really quickly and they manage to get the person the help they need but it's amazing because they never actually ask for help and th- i think this is relevant to m- what we might get to later which is that sometimes the the function of some t- of words put one after another might not be quite the same as what they seem to be as, as a format and um, that's important in in social interaction
0: love it so first of all that makes me feel better <laughs> about our first interaction this call yeah and that also gives me an insight and hopefully for everyone watching uh, we've learned so far that you can you can skip a little bit on that first interaction if it's a very driven um, and act- actually we've seen it works. Uh, you can skip a little bit the small talk, say hi, and go ask your question uh, on that yeah. video marketing piece or something. Especially if you want like a specific answer, we've seen that work with Stanley um, Stanley Tate with the like building leads, creating leads, generating leads on his landing page. We'll link. Uh, the that episode on how to do that here uh and it works it's like the more the shorter the questions the better so don't start building and saying stuff that people don't really want to hear because that happens that generates the opposite effect as Liz was saying and Mm. you can do those things further on when you start building that one-on-one conversation and you start actually knowing the person and you know the things that you can ask right
1: yeah yeah all right
0: Cool. Um I wanna ask you one more question and then after this we're gonna get into very more specific things of like what kind of questions can you ask? What is this? Is that better than this? Blah, blah blah Okay, but before we do that, um is there any sort of question or any sort of sentence we can we should avoid? It's like don't do this. Until, you if know, like if you're building your own sales funnel and st- selling like an <laughs> online course, don't do this because you're gonna fuck it up. Is there any Uh, any recommendation any warning recommendation you could give us or what do you think
1: um i think warning number one would be to be really listening and whether that's in spoken interaction or writing if people don't reciprocate what you're trying to do then you should be noticing that really quickly and moving to the reason for the the interaction so every conversation has a purpose to it even if the purpose is just a catch-up and if the purpose of your interaction is not a catch-up then being clear about what the reason for this interaction is at the start is something that everyone expects. Otherwise they'll be thinking, What why are we having this conversation? It's hmm. we've been, you know, a minute and I still don't quite know why why what's happening here. Um right. and the second thing is to think less about a script and what to avoid and um what to include and to think more about again what this concept of recipient design. And so to think about who am I talking to? Am I entitled to talk to them? Without having to make an appointment, or is this someone? Is it casual? Is it someone that I know well? Um, are they obliged to have this conversation with me, or is it kind of a favour that they're having this conversation with me? Um, what do I need and what do they need? And to really think about um, you, the things that you ask um, with those sort of contingencies in mind. So, for example, um, again, think, thinking about sales kinds of calls, um, it's the difference between asking the question which is really common in sales calls and you know i think i saw this in some typeform templates as well which is how did you hear about us you know how did you hear about typeform how did you hear mm. about yeah i was gonna so, ask you for these right yeah. now because i remember yeah.
0: we talked about this yeah anyway. so
1: so 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 there's there's two things about that one of them is the position of that in the overall you know landscape of the encounter and obviously it's not a good Thing to do to ask that right at the top of the encounter but I have seen that in in some sales calls where somebody phones up and says I'd like to buy something in you know probably in your organization and the very first thing they say is how did you hear about us it's like so well, annoying. how, oh how about hearing about what I want first <laughs> uh, but but anyway so so first of all you know put it at the end of the conversation and then the second thing is is really important to the precise design of the, of, of the question that you're asking because you're requesting some information but you're not really entitled to ask it of, of someone who is going to buy something from you it will be a favor if they would tell you um, how they came across you as a company so it's better to wait until the end until all of the business has been transacted with the person who you should be focused on and then say something like just before we go would you mind telling us how you he- how you heard about us and that indicates something like I know that I'm not entitled to ask you this and mm-hmm. you'd be doing me a favor by answering that question and we've dealt with all of your business now and that's quite different from saying how did you hear about us which kind of presumes that you're entitled to ask and that the person now feels obliged to answer and that's not a good way to to, to get that information from somebody you should do it in a slightly less entitled way and um and do it after you've done all of the business with with the customer
0: yeah, I'm really happy that this came out even before, like, now that we're, like, halfway uh, the episode, I'm really happy that this came out, because this is, I remember, the first time that I heard about this concept of entitlement on a conversation, and it has changed the way I talk, like, now I, I like, I consider, like, oh, can I can I ask this? And it's not, like, being polite, but it's more, like, do you have the the, the right, like, cause, like cause it, it, it feels so aggressive when you're on the other side, and someone else is, like, and yeah. you, you end up maybe because you want to be polite, maybe you end up responding, but it doesn't definitely it doesn't feel like that feeling of trust uh, with the other person you're talking to.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, um, let's get into like the 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 tactics of a conversation, right? Um, Probably, if you're watching this, is because you are uh, an entrepreneur or you are a marketer and you're trying to find ways to, you know, improve or optimize your video conversations for your marketing. So um, Liz and I are gonna talk about two or three. I'm gonna ask you, Liz, two or three um, very specific questions, and let's see what we can get to try and like, you know, know that know that down on. A, Note them down on a notebook and start like realizing, okay, if I follow these three tips, I'm gonna start improving my conversations. So, the first one I wanna ask you is what is better, and maybe, or maybe you have to tell me in what circumstances, but like, if when we need to select a yes no question, so a close question, versus an open question. And uh, if you're using video ads, you're going to have the possibility to ask a question and people can respond with video, audio, text. So and then you have the multiple choice where you can give like a, two options, right? So sometimes I just don't know if I need to I create a video ask like I just don't know what to ask, right? Yeah. Like wh- which are these questions? So is there situations in which one is better than another in my relationship with this potential customer or just converted customer? How, do yeah. that, how can we decide?
1: So this is a it's a really good question uh, again, um, and the answer is a bit complicated, I think. <laughs> okay. So the my, so my, my the first thing to note is that if if you are doing something where you are building a, a something that has a written response, um, so let's just start there, which might be on video ask, but might be on other other types of you know online surveys mm-hmm. and so on. Um, you're kind of constraining what can happen next so in a way I suppose what I'm saying is you could write any question you like but if you only give people an A or a B yes or no response then you could ask any question you like because you're already forcing people to choose yes or no in response and I think that's the same as um, people tend to think about yes no questions um, but of course Alternative, what we call alternative interrogative questions or forced choice questions, are also closed. You know, do you want an apple or an orange? If you can only choose an apple or an orange, then that is also very, you know, very forced as a choice. So let's just put the caveat there, which is, um, if you are designing options on a on a form of some kind, then you your, your design of your question is is kind of moot. Um, so let's just put that to one side. Mm-hmm. Um, the next part of the answer is that um, in a way, there's no such thing as open and closed questions. And this is, a, so this is another bit of myth busting because I think this is important. Okay, so, okay. Um, so, so we need to think about the difference between the form of the question, which might look like a, an, a grammatical yes, no question and the function, like what is, the, what is this grammar, a vehicle for in terms of what it's, af- what it's after. So my, my favorite example of this is going into a cafe and saying, do you have Wi-Fi?" And they mm-hmm. said, yes. <laughs> and so I then had to say, um, so, so can customers use, use the Wi-Fi? Yes. <laughs> and then I had to say, so do I need a, a code? Or And then eventually they gave me the code. And actually, this is in contrast to going into another cafe and not even asking for the Wi-Fi. But as they gave me my cup of tea, um, they said, oh, if you need the Wi-Fi, here's the code. And this is gorgeous because I didn't even have to ask. They just offered me this thing. And, and this is why, you know, I felt so happy about that cafe. And they hadn't done anything to, to build rapport with me at all. All they'd done is anticipate my need and meet it without me even having to ask. Mm. So anyway, so that's just, that's just a little side thing. But, but going back to the, you know, if I say, do you have the time? Um, it would be a bit weird to say yes <laughs> and then not give the time. <laughs> so, so, so we need to understand that, that just because it's a yes, no, Question. It might be a vehicle for something more than a yes or no in response. So that's the first thing. Um, The second thing is it's completely ordinary, and I I wrote a thread about this. So maybe I can send the link to you. um, That that people do far more than yes or no in response to what look like yes or no questions. So this is in in you know in in real interaction. So for example, I've got a nice case from a a first date, and one person asked the other, "Have you got kids?" So it's a yes no question. Um, but it'd be a bit weird to say yes <laughs> or no. It you'd suddenly feel like, yeah. oh, I, I've asked something wrong. I've I've said something t- delicate. But it was a yes no question. So, but but of course, what happens in in the date is that the person says, I've got a daughter. Yeah, she's four and a half. So that feels like a much more what you would expect in reality response to a yes no question. So so people do, um, more. And actually, I've also got some nice cases where, when people do a a completely flat no or yes in response, they become a, it's like oh what is this? Is this person being rude or are they trying to be funny? So I've got an example where somebody asks somebody on the on the phone, "Do you think you could pick me up on your way? You know, the, in their in their car?" and the and and the person responds no and then they both laugh and then one and then the person who asked said oh well fair enough you know so it causes this little moment in the interaction so as soon as as soon as you start to think about it the the closed open question isn't quite as simple as we think when we are just speculating um right having having so having said all of that um what the most important thing to think about is do you want people to think about this as a no problem kind of answer that you want them to give a rapid response to and 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 of course you can try to constrain what happens next by asking yes no questions in that sense and swapping them for a wh question that tell me a how or what or why and to actually think about that as your 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 basic contrast um, but but more generally you need to think is my is my question just a yes no question or is it actually a vehicle for something else um, And and that's probably your your best starting point.
0: Mm, Okay, so two notes for me here. The first one, there's open questions that are actually closed questions and there's the <laughs> yeah. other way around. So just make sure that you know what you're actually asking. That would be, yeah. First off, <laughs> yeah. I like yeah. that because it's mm-hmm. true and it has happened to me that I was expecting a yes or a no and it never happened. <laughs> um, so that's a good one. And uh, based on what you just said, I would imagine that like at the very beginning of the conversation, when the commitment maybe is low and you're asking, maybe you're you're asking for something from a person that doesn't know you, doesn't trust you yet. Maybe it's better to not ask open questions and make things more easy for the other person with yeah. those questions. And maybe, so if you're generating leads with your video on your homepage, maybe it's a good idea to not ask open questions. And the data shows that actually it's more engaging. If you have like two or three options, um, people, it's just a click. But if they need to write or if they need to record their voice or video, um mm. the data show that they it's they're like much, much less likely to do it. But actually, on the other way around, and we have another episode with JB that I'll probably link here, and where we talk about using video in the different interactions uh of your customer journey. And this kind of like builds and connects really well into that in the same that maybe when the connection is closer and your relationship is more deep that maybe it's actually a good idea to ask open questions so the other yeah. person can feel that you're listening right so these are my yeah. two notes based yeah i on... think
1: it's it's back to the the concept that i mentioned earlier this recipient design if you're always thinking about your recipient and you know, would asking, you know, 10 open ended questions be a real burden on someone that you've never met before? You know, are they likely mm. to want to do this um, versus some quick yes, no questions that are well designed? The the other thing to, to think about, um, and we talked a bit a bit a bit about this when I was at Typeform as well, is that all yes, no questions are not equal. Um, so you can ask questions in a way that tilt or make it more likely that a person will say yes or no. Um, as well as it being only possible to say yes or no. Um so if I say to you, Would you like any more cake, that's a yes no question. And it's harder to to say yes than no because I've designed it to push you towards saying no because I want the cake. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And when you and when you think about it, the grammar of that um it makes it more you can't really say in response to would you like any more cake, yes, I'd like any. Um, And actually, this was a this was a a, a finding of a a, a colleague um, in the States, John Heritage and and, and others. Um, And they basically showed that when people are asked questions with the word any in them, they were more likely to say no than yes and 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 the contrast is with a question with the word some in it and it's still a yes no question is would you like some more cake um you can still it's still a yes no question but what they found in this particular study which was in a medical setting that people said a lot more in response to the yes no some question than the yes no any question so again it depends on what you put into mm. the yes no question what kind of answer you're more likely to get
0: so i feel like these things we kind of No, subconsciously or like we do naturally in a way but it's really useful to understand uh because sometimes you might try to want to say something and you're you're trying like without knowing doing the opposite so any it's closer to a no some it's closer to a yes so this is very important when you're trying to sell something um in terms of persuasion
1: yeah and actually um so i've just um got a paper coming out with with two other colleagues marie flink and sophie Parslow, which we can link i can send you the article yes Um, and what we're looking at actually is again this this notion of recipient design and it's basically how do you ask somebody for their email address which is a really common thing that you want to get in almost any you know cx or 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 kind of um transaction and 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 we focus on the different ways that you can do that very basic activity, depending on who you think your recipient is and and who the recipient probably is um so you we found that in one setting um the sales person or the or the service provider was saying, "Do you have email at all or do you have any access to email at all and it's designed for a no, and actually what they're doing is designing their their request for information for people who are probably in this particular organization as a user not likely to have internet access so it's done very carefully and that's different for and what's your email and that's done for people who you're pretty sure has got email and you you know or maybe they can't even find you unless they found you online so it's a safe question to ask in a i'm just expecting you to give me that information so the any question do you have any Knowledge, you know, you can say people have, and do you know anything at all about us? And that can be a way of both designing some a question that people are most likely to say no to. But the benefit of that is that then you can launch into your explanation of your service and people feel as though you're doing it for them so I've seen that really effectively used where okay. somebody's phoned up a service they don't know anything about the service they've been recommended it but they don't know really know why they're in this conversation and at some point the service provider the call taker says so do you know anything at all about mediation and the, the caller says I don't really know but and now the call the call is going to go and explain something to them and now they feel as though you're explaining this to me because I've told you I don't know anything, and that was much more effective than basically the, the callers who just said, "I'm going to tell you a bit about mediation and how it can exactly. help." There's so someone who's like, "I don't, I well maybe I know about it already, or you're not you're not designing it for me. You're just going to dump a package of information that you're going to do to everybody, and I, now I feel the opposite oh, of spoken to as an individual." Yeah,
0: I like that because. In the same way, we we think like if you're building like a video funnel, for example, and you're asking questions. uh, In the same way I said at the beginning, it's really good to go straight to a point. And you, Liz, you already like you you already mentioned that like it's good to go straight to a point and like make short questions. Nothing tells you if, uh, if they're interactive and you're clicking. Nothing tells you you cannot add maybe one or two more if they're really short. And if one question maybe doesn't need a specific. Answer. So, with one question, you don't necessarily are getting data, but you're facilitating the the follow up question. Absolutely. That's like, I love this. That's very strategic. I like that. Um, Yeah. Okay. So, and also, also I realized that sometimes, like when you don't have, maybe you're more shy or more insecure. And maybe, or maybe you just don't know if you already built that connection with that person and it's a little bit on your mind, it's a little bit fragile you don't want to break it. And so when you ask for an email, because of course, if you ask for an email, you're going to follow up, right? So maybe I could see myself saying, um, do you have any email you wanted to give us? Um, just because you know you want to be nice, you don't want to be pushy <laughs> or anything, but actually maybe you're designing the question for no uh, and you don't realize. So that's really, yeah. that's also a good note to take. Okay. Yeah. We're coming to the end of the episode. I'm going to ask you a really good question, and then we're going to talk for a second about that magic word that I think has earned a place in this episode. So (laughs) the question I wanted to ask you, let me actually take my note real quick, is um, what is different? So is there any difference that we should be aware of? And again, let's make this very specific. Is there any specific difference that um, we we could make when we talk in a live conversation, like in a live setup like this, when we have exchange change and we are t- exchanging our dialogue versus an asynchronous conversation. Let's say, a, it doesn't need to be video. As like maybe like both audio notes on your phone or something like that.
1: Um, I think this is a quite interesting research question, actually, um, and the, the closest I've ever got to it was actually um, supervising a PhD student. Called yeah. Joe Meredith, and she looked at people. Uh, she screen captured people writing message, Facebook Messenger chat, mm. and she was looking at um, what people did to compose the chat before before sending the message, and and what you can see in the way people are composing their message is that they're attending to things like recipient design. So they might start typing can i do x and then they delete that and said i was just wondering if it's possible to and then they send the less pushy one so you can see that people are sort of paying attention to the same kinds of things but i think maybe one answer to the question is you don't have the opportunity if you once you've pressed send it's gone and you can't fix it i mean sometimes we do of course very quickly send something like oh actually i meant you know they, they you correct a spelling or you you correct something that might have come across strange or you add an an extra message which is an emoji Um, but I think thinking about the sort of the video ask architecture and so on you have to get it kind of all right or and because then it's gone and so when you're live like this if I can see you know a look of confusion on your face I can see it and then I can fix it. Live because I'm getting feedback straight away, so that's one of the differences that I think you need to be aware of. That that you can't fix it mid mid turn, and actually, it's really common for people to fix things as they go. Which why we go. Um, actually, this other thing, and and we kind of mm. do that all the time. You can't do that if you're asynchronous, which even though you're probably me, thinking it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I I this is very interesting because I've never thought about this, and it's true. Like so, basically, what you're saying is like, while we're talking live we're fixing our delivery as we talk and if we don't see something land we can like rephrase it or you you don't have this when you are asynchronous whether that's video ask or like on on messages with voice notes and stuff like that or in writing so this gives me an idea that if you're let's say you have video ask and it's not your completion rate is not as good as you wish maybe it's not that your the steps that you have set up the flow or the funnel it's not or the offerings are not working but maybe you could even try rephrasing the same messages in a different way Try to yeah. do that thing that you're missing on a live conversation, and yeah. check out one week later. See if it's conveying comb- better. Because the first thing we tend to do is like, oh, so you know, people are not clicking here. Maybe it's because they don't like my ebook of like my free ebook. Ta ta <laughs> But actually, maybe it's just the way that in which you phrase it. That if you just tweak yeah. it a little bit, you try something different, it actually compares better.
1: Yeah, I mean, and, and because basically, that's what we're doing in, in conversation. And, and, and in a way, what I'm doing as a conversation analyst, sometimes is looking at those fixes that people are producing to see what it was that they landed on that actually worked. And then I can actually sort of take that out and say, this is the thing that, that you did that worked. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I think that's really important. And of course, you know, I, I suspect this is just a theory that if you're doing a video ask, that you may without even thinking about it, be asking more than one question in one go. Yeah. So it might then be kind of confusing. It's really common error in questionnaire design that people say, you know, did you do this and this? And and we always say, you know, make sure it's just one question at a time. But I, I wonder if it's easier easier to forget that when you're talking because you might just keep talking. Um, so yeah, I suspect that maybe the question is unclear. That's a really or, good or, point. or it's two questions and people are like, well, which bit should I be answering? And you've only given me yes, no in, in response. And so I don't know which bit that could and be And
0: they bail. That's a really good point. And yeah, yeah, I like to think about video ask or even like type Typeform or tools like that as a presentation. So when you're giving a public uh, keynote or even like a work presentation, you have like uh, some slides, you want to make sure you have one idea per slide. So video ask, for example, it's similar, it's the same thing. You want to have one question uh, yeah. per slide. So if you if you open your video, as you're like, okay, so we'd like to know what's your name and uh, and uh, how old are you, and then yeah. there's only like a blank space. You're like, okay, so what should I yeah. ask? That yeah. answer. Okay, cool. So I think we're coming to the end of the episode, and uh, to wrap it up, I want to talk about this magic word that <laughs> you taught me when we yeah. talked like a few years yeah. ago, and it's work. It's work. So it's proven, <laughs> but based on my experience, it works. Um, you, you talk about the magic word that can turn no's into yes, or at least can turn into uh, some <laughs> rejection or so some, you know, reject man into like more of like a positive answer. Can you tell yeah. what word is this and how it works?
1: Yeah. So the word is willing. <laughs> and I discovered this um, in research, looking at people who are basically resisting being offered a service, um, and the service, I think I think, at least to say something about the, this particular first place that I found it, which was in um, conflict resolution settings where basically people are at, at war with each other. The mediation service is offering you know their service to try and help people come to a resolution, and people really resist the idea of the process because what they don't really want is to is to talk to the person that they're in conflict with and they think they're the reasonable one and why should they do that because the other person is the is the horrible person and so one of the things that they'll commonly say is um there's no point in talking to them you know they're not going to say yes to this service um and and what some of the mediators were doing next and and this is by the way you know not intentional i don't think in in that way, it's not Machiavellian, it's just the practice that I happen to find, you know, I'd never have discovered this if I didn't look at actual conversation. But what some mediators are doing was saying, Yeah, no, I understand. But but you'd be willing to just see the mediators and talk about uh, the first step sort of thing. And people would immediately say, Oh, yeah, yeah, I yeah. And sometimes they say things like, Oh, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm, I'm completely willing, like, and the contrast is they won't be but I, I am. And so basically, in these situations where the type of person you are is to some extent at stake and that is the topic like are you a nice person or are you the person causing the dispute then when you ask people are they willing to do something it's quite hard for them to say no I'm not and still seem like the nice person so I then found that this willing again works in similar kinds of environments where people's moral character who they are is is important and there's an ad, an, ad, an advertising campaign a few years ago, um, and it's a children's charity. It, I, I don't know how international it is, actually, but it's called Save the Children. And for a while, their, their billboard said, we, and then their logo is, we save the children, will you? And of course, that, if you look at that and think, nah, it, then you're like, what, you're not, you're, you're the kind of person who doesn't want to save children. You know. So So you can see that it's, I think it has to be carefully used. So so I found that it worked best after resistance. So if people had already said no and then and, and then the mediator was kind of invoking their moral character but without without this being an explicit strategy they you know I I I discovered that it worked but I don't think anyone was remembering that they did this particularly. Um so there are places to where this would be really heavy to use. So like if you have a partner who never puts the trash out then you probably shouldn't say would you be willing to put the trash out as the first opening move because it's a bit heavy like what what do you mean are you telling me i don't do enough around the house you could imagine that will just be an argument but if your partner have and you haven't been getting on for a long time and you've been trying to persuade them to go to marriage guidance counseling or something and they're resisting 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 then you might say look would you be willing to just try and meet the counselor then that might work because then it's about are you the are you because if you say no to that then maybe you are the problem <laughs> so I, I think I think that's the situation and so when it comes to things like you know your lead generations and so on you have to be careful you know like is the is the moral character of this person at stake and and, and you don't want to exploit this notion that um and, and, and you can't use it first it, it's not the thing that you would go to first it's after resistance when you actually think that the outcome is going to be really good for everybody that's probably the best way to think about it
0: Liz thanks so much for this time that uh we spent uh together uh, it's been really useful for me personally and I think for everyone watching too um if anyone wants to reach
1: out to you or wants to get
0: in touch uh, what's the best way to do so
1: um, probably on Twitter, or you can just Google my name, and you'll find my my email very easily. <laughs> awesome!
0: Thanks yeah. so much, Liz. Um, yeah. So you already heard of those things. If you have a question, Liz and I will be watching here the comments for the next days. So make sure you leave a comment. And you know what I would really really like if you are enjoying these episodes, let us know. Hit the like button. Let us know that you connect with these ideas and these topics, because otherwise we stop doing it and we do something else. Uh, would you be willing? to leave a comment uh, here (laughs) on the comments below. (laughs) I hope that you will. All right, uh, thanks so much for watching and we'll see you, I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. (laughs)